if you have your Bibles or you have your bulletin, uh, uh, Psalms chapter 11. Okay, I gotta, I gotta get serious. Okay, um, okay, guys. So I gotta tell you this this opening story, and um, and I gotta give you some context. Psalm 11 is one of my favorite psalms because it's one of those psalms that I use a lot just to restore my own perspective. Um, I don't know what interrupts your perspective. Uh, if my if my dear sister Barbara Tuck was here, she would tell you she doesn't mind me sharing this. She's told me before that worry interrupts her perspective and that she's battled against worry for, for years. I know Andrew doesn't mind me saying something he and I share is anger. Anger will just jack up our perspective sometimes. And uh, Andrew, if you're like me, sometimes you don't even know where it started. Like you're just caught in it. You're drowning and, and you're just mad. Uh, or, or maybe maybe some of you guys out there, uh, it, it, it could be maybe those foreboding feelings that live at the edge of depression that can just, just creep in and, and just start to jack your whole perspective up. Just, just hijack it even, take it over. Or maybe, maybe... Um, Maybe you're that person who, um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's that fear of the unknown. You know, that, that really, like, what's going to happen next and how's it going to unfold? And it just starts to eat away at all that you really know and cherish. It'll just tear your perspective up. So for me, Psalm 11 has been a perspective-restoring psalm for a long time. And uh, I don't feel... I don't feel like I'm better than anybody to tell you that it's not worry that gets me. It's not fear that gets me. It's not confusion. But, but, but I also feel really humble that sometimes I can just be angry. And I look at everything through the lens of anger. And I totally dismiss the lens of truth. And my perspective is taken away. So this song has become precious to me. It's become like a, a spiritual, mental, emotional inventory piece for me. Does that make sense to anybody? It's one among many. Like I also, we, we sort of say it as a cliche a lot of times, but we'll say like Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. You know, uh, we, we really should not lean on our own understanding. I, I'll just go to that sometimes and go, wait a minute, am I leaning on my own understanding? Am I overwhelmed by my own emotions? Have I lost my perspective? Or I'll look at a passage like Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and go, wait a minute, am I just submitting myself to the Lord? Or one of my real go-to places is Romans chapter 8, the whole chapter. But particularly, I'll hone in on 8, 28, 29. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose, that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. And I'll just say, what is God doing? What is God doing right now? God is pruning me. He is, he is, he is. He is refining me. God is taking friction. Listen to me, church. Somebody needs this. God is taking friction, but his point in my life is not the friction. God's point is the sharpness. But it can feel like, his, it can feel like the goal is, is the friction. So Psalm 11 gets real personal to me really quick, and I just have to share that. Second story. So I think if I illustrate well in opening and the things I say later will really land in a helpful and personal way. All right, uh, sunroof, window, whatever. How many of you guys remember where you were on 9-11? Who remembers where they were? Okay, all right. Some of you guys, some of you guys remember where you were when President Kennedy was assassinated. 
I remember where I was, uninvented. I wasn't around, but I remember where I was when Reagan was shot. I remember where I was when the shuttle blew up. Um, I remember where I was when my dad died. It doesn't have to be a national crisis to be the sort of crisis that makes it feel like the, the carpet's been pulled out from under you. It can be just a personal crisis. I'll never forget 9-11. I'll never forget it. Why? No, let me tell you, this really neat thing is, uh, to this day, I read at least, at least the proverb that lines up with the date. Like today's May 3rd, so I read Proverbs 3. And at least the psalm that lines up with the day. So like today I read Psalm 3. Sometimes I'll read five psalms a day, but I at least try to read one. Well, back in 2001, on September 11th, I want to say it was a Tuesday. If memory serves me correct. I'm not real sure. But guess what I was? Guess what I had read that morning? Psalm 11. And I'll never forget it. I had read it five times. And I read it five times because I needed to get Katie out to the uh, sitter that day. And uh, we were just running behind on getting out the door. And to patiently kill some time, I went back and read this, this psalm. And it was, it was just sort of rambling around in my mind as I made my way over to Barry's Grove. And about the time I got in my office and settled down the first building was struck ran really quickly across the road to my pastor's house and turned on the TV about the time the second building was hit and I was this song was just rambling around in my mind and it became this wonderful foundation for me to think about foundations that cannot be destroyed versus foundations that are destroyed so with that as a backdrop let me read these seven verses from Psalm chapter number 11 to the choir master of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Fathers, we open your word, open our understanding. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I hope you guys have your bulletin. I hope... Uh, um, Everyone has turned to these pages. I think this is one of these times I just kind of want to beg you to take notes. And I want to beg you to consider this. And I, I've been praying that the um, Holy Spirit will download this into you in such a way that it will begin to be a framework for how you reset your perspective when the foundations are being destroyed. We all need this. I only have two points. I have a couple of sub-points under these. Let me plow through these. And leave the rest to the Holy Ghost. First and foremost, we need the right mindset. That sounds sort of simple, except circumstances and emotions. Circumstances and emotions will take us off of our game when, when, uh, when everything's okay, we're okay. When something happens, we begin to be not okay. Silly story that I hope you'll see the point in. Um, so I played baseball, um, and uh, 
I, I was a switch hitter. And if you don't know what that means, that means against right-handed pitchers, I usually batted left-handed. Against left-handed pitchers, I batted right-hand. And a guy told me that I needed to take a minimum 500 swings a day. 500 swings a day. And, uh, you know, that's if you're just right-handed. So my goal was to take 250 left-handed, 250 right-handed in the morning and then do it again at night. Well, let me tell you what, when no ball is coming to me and I was just standing in my bedroom or standing out in the front yard, everything I hit was a home run. In my imagination, every swing, you know, it's, it's a, uh, I never imagined I had many triples. I wasn't a fast guy. I had a lot of doubles though. I had these slicing drives down the right and left field line. I had these, these, these line drive shots that just banged off of the wall like a candy shot. I had these boomers that left the yard in Mickey Mantle fashion. That was all in my mind. But then standing in front of a picture and all of a sudden everything I had imagined was being tested by reality. For the believer, everything is theology. Everything is theology. And it's easy to have clean theology on the sidewalk with the sunshine and nobody bothering you. But when we get tested, we start to find out, is our theology really embedded in who we are? That's what's going on in David's life in Psalm 11. And, and, and you know, what he's being challenged to do is to lose the right mindset. Now, if you study David's life, there are times he lost the right mindset. This is one of those times he didn't. We don't know exactly what occasion this song was written, but it makes sense that it might have been written when Saul was pursuing him. You got to remember, he's, he's raised as a, as a shepherd. He's raised out in the pastures. He's, he's brought from obscurity into national fame. He becomes a fixture in the king's household. And suddenly, he becomes the enemy of the king. Just keep that perspective. Where once he was celebrating the nation, now he's the object of governmental pursuit. In other words, the rug has been pulled out from under him. I don't know if anybody here is willing to confess this with me, but this mess that we're going through feels like the rug's been pulled out from under us. Nothing's normal. And I feel like I'm back at 9-11. I'm sitting here facing something that seems unprecedented in my lifetime, and I also know it's going to create a shift in my lifetime. I don't know if y'all realize this, but nothing will be the same. Even when we go back to acting normal, we won't know if we can hug, shake. We won't know how much we're supposed to hang out. We won't know who is the agent of the cooties and who's not. And there will be this subtle shift that happens in us. And I'm, I'm standing here looking at it very clear-minded about what it is in fact, but I'm very cloudy-hearted about how it's affecting me and how it will affect me. Anybody else willing to say you know exactly what I'm talking about? Something's happening. And what David does here, David says, wait a minute. <laughs> if you'll allow me a kind of terrible paraphrase. He goes, wait a minute. So you're telling me to flee like a bird? Uh-uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I realize that totally upending life situations are happening, but God has not changed. So his frame of reference for whether he's okay is not going to be his circumstances, it's going to be his God. You see what I'm saying? When you gotta say you gotta have the right mindset. If you, if anybody here is anything like me, your mindset is being tested. In Psalm 11, we use of God to say, "Wait a minute, get your perspective back right." God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. God is not moved. God is stationed in His holy temple. Let me make sure that I don't think my changing circumstances means I have a changing covenant with an unchanging God. kind of got in this heated discussion this week with an old friend 
Well, he was heated. I wasn't. I didn't even know he was heated until he told me he was mad. I didn't even know he was mad until he said, hey, are we okay? And I says, what do you mean? You know, only in 2020 can I say I got in a heated argument over Instagram Messenger. Uh, you know, asked me that 10 years ago, I said, what? And he says, he says, well, we've had a long history of having disagreements but still being friends. I was like, I didn't even know who's having a disagreement, but yeah, we're still friends. And he later, you know, told me he'd sort of been agonized and thought, thought that I was upset with him and that he knew he was upset with me. I didn't even know he was upset with me. I definitely wasn't upset with him. His perspective had been jacked up, and he was judging our friendship based on, on his feelings rather than the reality that we'd always enjoyed. I was like, no, man, we're good. You're still a stinking rotten liberal who I love, and I'm still a stinking rotten conservative who you love, and we love each other. Boom, we're okay. We're friends. I'm telling y'all, it doesn't take a national crisis to upset us. All it takes is a personal crisis. You think about our dear brother and sister, Kathy and Rob, who are up in Ohio visiting with their friends. You think COVID-19 is the chief, the chief problem they're facing today? No. He's worried about his mom. He's, he's mourning the loss of his nephew. Right? So we need our perspective restored. This passage shows me shows me four things inside of being a right mindset. Number one is this, wicked people and events out of human control destroy our foundations. Wicked people, like those guys who ran those planes into the buildings on 9-11, wicked people. It shook our whole nation and situations out of human control, COVID-19. A drought, it's not out of God's control, but it's out of our control and it pulls a rug out from under us. Let's recognize that. Let's don't pretend like everything's okay when it's not okay. They come to David, and David says, David uh, says, wait a minute, y'all want me to run away? No, I'm going to face it, and I'm going to look at God. Also, the Lord will destroy the wicked. Somebody's got to just need to know. You need to know that. There's wicked people doing wicked things, but they will not be wicked forever. Um, when you guys were singing that song, Andrew, I can't remember the, the one you just sang that we, we didn't have... I kept thinking about, you know, I literally was over here about to cry, man. Like, God's goodness. We'll never get through discovering God's goodness. But there will be a point. There will be a point where we will see the end of all wickedness. We'll see an end to all wickedness, church. Do you realize that? Wickedness has a time stamp. Goodness doesn't even have a depth stamp. We'll never finish seeing the deep goodness of God but we will see the end of all human wickedness. Do you realize that? Also, when you look at situations that are out of human control, and there's a lot of them, we need to know that God rules over our circumstances. Go back to that idea from Romans chapter 8, 28. God works all things together for good. you got some things that are out of your control, and you absolutely cannot see how God's going to use them. I want you to hold on. Hang in there. Understand like Joseph that when he's in a pit, sold into slavery, when he's in a dungeon, betrayed by the people he's helping, you're going to get to this place. Maybe it won't be till heaven, Brad Carl. You might be all the way in heaven when you realize it, but you're going to say, yo, this will be a direct quote from you in heaven, Brad. Yo, what all of that stuff meant against me for evil, my God meant. <laughs> Andrew Shabbat will be going, yo. What all of this has meant against me, God meant it for my good. And everybody who is in covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ 
It may be heaven. But everybody's going to get to this place and go, okay, I see what y'all was up to. Devil, I see what you was up to. Flesh, I see what you was up to. Brokenness of the world, I see what you was up to. And it's all, last night I, we were playing spades. Okay, and here's a side sermon. If you play Joker, Joker, Deuce, you're a criminal and should go to jail. We play Joker, Joker, Ace. If you don't know what I'm talking about, come see me. <laughs> but like, you know, you just, you know, you lay out these cards and, and, and you know, for us, the, the Joker's a, it says it's a red Joker. You throw it down and it suddenly doesn't matter what anybody else plays. High Joker wins, right? Or if you play Rook, Rook wins. Right? Or maybe I need to give it to y'all in VeggieTale format. If you know it, sing along. You ready? God is bigger than the He's bigger than Godzilla and the... I hear some of y'all back there. That's right. And it's not just that God is individually bigger than the boogeyman, individually bigger than Godzilla, individually bigger than the monsters on TV. He is bigger than all of these things collectively. He's the, he's the rook of rooks, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the king of kings. Nothing tops God. Somebody say amen. He's not only going to destroy the wicked, he is going to use all of these circumstances because he's ruling over them. And also, and finally under this point one, gosh, i got to go fast. I'm so sorry. No, I'm not. The Lord, the Lord upholds the righteous. If you look down in verse 7, verses 4 through 6, and look, I'm going to get them. I'm going to handle that. I'm going to handle the wicked, my paraphrase. Verse 7 says, but, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uphold the righteous. How do I know the Bible says this? It says because we're going to see his face. Woo! Woo! This mysterious God, Clay Shipley, you listening to me? This mysterious God who hints and shadows and metaphors and clues to him are in every fiber of the created order. We're going to see his face. What we see through a dim, darkened glass with imperfect, imperfect vision right now, we're going to behold his faith. He's going to uphold the righteous. Now, let me, okay. Oh, boy. Who wrote this sermon anyway? An idiot. Let's get to point two real fast. Thing number two this passage teaches me and restores my perspective in constantly is this. The bigger our view of God, the weaker the problems are that assault us. The bigger our view of God, the weaker the problems are that assault us. A few weeks ago, we were talking about the disciples in the storm. The problem was Jesus was in the boat with them, but the storm was bigger in their vision than God was. So they started looking at the storm and saying, God, you don't care. We need a big view of God. That's why every believer needs to be a constant student of the nature and person of God. He is delightful. He is glorious. He is, the only word we have is a word that says no words are enough. That word is ineffable. He's beyond human description. He'll even be beyond human comparison. We'll go to heaven still plunging the depths of the goodness of God throughout the ages. We'll be plunging the depths of the love of God. You know, as much as you feel loved by God, you don't even have a clue how deep his love is for you yet. I almost told us to sing tonight. How deep the Father's love for us. Who knows that next line? How vast beyond all measure. 
And then in the song, they just use one frame of reference. That he would send his only son to do what? To make a wretch his treasures. We haven't even got to the edge of God. And a lot of times, our problems are overwhelming us because we haven't put them beside our God. We make our problems the beanstalk. And we forget that there's a giant over top of eating the beanstalk. There's a, there's a God over the giant. So this passage shows me three quick things about this. And, it, and what it is is, is is this more reiteration of what I've already said to tell you the truth. And number one, it shows me that God is present, powerful, and paying attention. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. God is present. He is powerful. He's paying attention. And somebody just needs to remember that today. Also, I see in, in these following verses after verse 4 that, that God will pronounce and execute judgment on the wicked. Including that, including that, God will solve all the circumstances of man. That's what he says. Is the Lord tests. The righteous, I want you to notice that. He tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. You know, I see a lot of times these little signs in people's yards that says God loves everyone. In one sense, that's true, but in another sense, folks need to read things like Psalm 11. God's not going to put up with man's foolishness forever. Somebody say amen. He's just not. And why do I take comfort in that? Because I know from the book of Revelation that there's going to be an end to all tears. Amen. I hate crying. I can't wait. Crying makes me tired. This exhausts me. There's going to be an end to all pain. Right? All, all things are going to be made right. So while I know he's going to deal with the wicked, and I don't feel particularly individually pressed by any particular wicked person today, I do feel pressed by my broken circumstances. And I know that it won't always be this way. God's going to pronounce judgment and execute it. And finally, God will preserve the righteous. That's what he tells us in verse 7. Wynn's been trying to take my notes this whole time, so let me just put them away. Now, I know that was long. Y'all with me, folks? Am I making sense? See, a lot of times we get to looking at this stuff, and it is, you know, it feels like just the wave and the beach is out of reach. That's what it feels like in my heart. It feels like the waves keep coming, and I can't even find the beach. And life, you know, life is like the ocean to me. There's more ocean than land. There just is. There's more ocean than land. It feels like there's more things that shape me than there are that secure me. But God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla. He's bigger than Monster on TV. God's bigger than the whole ocean. God's bigger than the whole universe. And our challenge right now is to cling to God. Maybe you've never even known this kind of security. Maybe you've never even known this pursuit of goodness. Maybe all of this, the, the grand goodness in this stuff going on, for you personally, is that you surrender yourself into the care of God. 
And, you know, little g God of bank account, we're finding out it doesn't satisfy. Little g God of physical security, we're finding out we're not safe anywhere. An invisible bug can come get us. It's being ripped away. Little g God of personal freedom feels like it's been ripped out from under us. All these little gods are being tested and destroyed. And we're being challenged to say, where are you going to run now? When David was challenged, he says, oh, I'm going to look to the holy hill where God is still ruling and reigning and where he hasn't changed and where he will keep his word. Maybe you've never come into that relationship with God where your sins have been cast on his gift on the cross and you found new life when he rose out of that tomb where he, tomb where he becomes the answer to your guilt and the hope for your life. What would the Bible say to that person? It would say, believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of the flesh, saved from the wrath of God, saved from the destiny of hell, saved from the grip of Satan. Some people say, I don't need saved. Everybody needs saved. But it's not just saved from, it's saved to. Saved to have a relationship with God. Saved to know heaven is your home. Saved to have purpose on the earth. The list can grow on both sides. But what God promises is that he will make us right with himself through the Son. You know what, believer? You need the gospel too. I need the gospel too. I need to be reminded that God's bigger than all of this. And I'm not with God because I'm good, like Andrew was praying. I'm not with God because I'm good. I'm with God because God is good. He gave his son for me. He reached out and gave me an awareness of my sin and an awareness of his forgiveness. And he brought those two things together to cross. And we believers in these weird days, some of us are tempted to live rebellious against the government. Some of us are tempted to give in to our emotions. We need the gospel too. We need to remember that God's plans are bigger than our problems. God's promises are bigger than our problems. God is bigger. Father, thank you for a chance to share with people of God here at East Rock and those friends of ours from East Rock who, who are at home. Thank you God for the gift of the time we live in where we have internet and where we can share like this. Thank you for the awesome gift of cars and this new parking lot you led our congregation to put in. And thank you for the technology that gives us microphones. But all of this stuff is just a package that you put together to get the prize to us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Encourage our hearts as only you can. And God, if there are any soul on the sound of my voice who have yet to find their peace with you through Jesus Christ, God, grant them the gift of salvation. And then God, cause them to walk in simple yet profound faith with Jesus. In Christ I pray, amen.